The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the European Patent Office, in which we will be discussing additive manufacturing, otherwise known as 3D printing. The EPO's latest study looks at the explosion in patenting activity in this field over recent years and the ever-increasing areas in which it's being applied, from healthcare to transport. This technology is coming out of its niche as a prototyping tool and entering the mainstream at the centre of manufacturing. My name is Jeremy Philpot, and I work in communication at the European Patent Office. Joining me today are the two authors of our latest study on additive manufacturing technologies and patents. First, we have senior economist Ilya Rudik. He has a background in innovation and economics. He joined the EPO in Munich almost 10 years ago in the chief economist unit. Welcome, Ilya. Hi, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. And also joining us from the EPO's office in The Hague is Judy Kullemans. Judy is an engineer in material science. She joined the EPO 25 years ago as an examiner in metallurgy and in recent years has worked specifically in powdered metals and metal additive manufacturing. She has had a leading role in the development of the EPO's classification scheme for these technologies. Welcome, Judy. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Ilya. Thanks for having me. Hi, Judy. I'd like to start just by setting the stage a bigger picture. Why is it that additive manufacturing, 3D printing, is being described as a disruptive technology? Well, Jeremy, the disruptive character of additive manufacturing is about, first of all, the complete freedom or of, of design. So people can really start from a different way of modeling and, and designing parts with less restrictions. So that's one. Thereby also needing less tools to produce a part or a, or a product and also using less parts. So you can make really a, a complete part in one go instead of having to assemble it. The, the less tooling aspect I hadn't thought of before, but you're right. So um, potentially there are going to be some people who make a living making tools who are going to be out of a job unless they can retrain into some other area that's arising from the boom in 3D printing. I don't think we will really shift completely away from all these subtractive and, uh, and previous technologies that, uh, that are known for many, many years and centuries. <laughs> so... But additive is certainly an additional um, kit on the block and uh, and gives further opportunities. And that has, again, an impact on supply chain. So you need less of uh, storage. And you can also have it uh, made on the spot or at a different location, uh, having to design one place and, uh, and the uh, production somewhere else. So that allows you to be more flexible so supply chains will uh, will change completely with this technology. And on top of that, you can really also go for customization. So you can really make a part dedicated to individuals if you want. Jeremy, just to explain what, uh, what Juju already said, uh, if you think about design freedom, right? I mean, the, the application that comes to my mind is, uh, think about airplanes. What do you want to do there, right? You want to reduce the weight of things. And with design freedom, you can design the things such that the, the weight is reduced to a minimum. So you have cost savings. So it becomes interesting for the industry. Then what is actually mass customization it means that you can personalize things, individualize it. 
Think about your dental implants. What you can do, you can now produce them cost-efficiently because you don't need the tooling anymore. You don't need to set up the old stuff that you need to produce it in a conventional way. And indeed, if they look at the economic numbers now, we're talking about the market that now has the size of 20 billion euros. And it is supposed to grow even further. 20 billion a year. Correct. Wow. For 3D printing. Wow. Just a small comment, uh, Jeremy, because you have been using uh, 3D printing and additive manufacturing both terminology. Yeah, go on. Just to clarify for the listeners, the additive manufacturing is the scientific way of, of describing all these technologies because it's really covering various techniques. So it's not only these printers that people know from having at home with filaments, fused filaments, and those are typically called the 3D printing, but it goes far beyond and really industrial type of apparatuses where you use powders, for instance, and or metal wires uh, or sheets so that it's not only the tabletop ones, but also much more bigger installations where you can really make industrial parts or tools. Oh, right. Okay. So what I would normally consider to be 3D printing, this sort of glue gun squirting gel, you know, layer upon layer on a moving platform. Um, Those are is nice it, to have as well, but uh, <laughs> but that's only oh that's only part of it. Okay, of course. Um, your background is in powdered metals, and I know that there's a form of additive manufacturing which is this metal sintering, where uh, powdered metals are fused very precisely to create solid shapes. Okay, right. So 3D printing is just one type of additive manufacturing. Well, exactly. I, I apologize if my terminology might get a little bit sloppy uh, during this chat. Please bear with me. I was looking at the study and the study is seeking to quantify innovation in this field. So, you know, it talks about which countries are doing more additive manufacturing than others. But how can we quantify or measure innovation? Jeremy, we use in general patents as as a proxy for innovative activity, knowing that patent is a legal right to protect a new invention right. However, we go a step further in our study. We're not only interested in all inventions. But we are interested in what we call high-value or high-quality invention because we only look at those inventions where there is an intention to protect them in several countries, several jurisdictions. So we know that the applicant, either company or university, for example, they want to secure their uh, commercialization rights in many countries, and they're ready to invest in that and to put in effort. So this is a kind of a filter of value and quality and this is what we use to track the innovation activity in additive manufacturing. Just counting pure patent applications is not of itself necessarily a clear indicator of innovative activity. I mean, it tells you, you know, it tells you people are filing patent applications, but whether or not there are really valuable inventions behind that is coming from whether or not those patent applications are being filed in parallel in multiple markets. So you're using, that's how you differentiate the more significant ones. Okay. And what we find, if we use that indicators through the international patent families, we identified over 50,000 so-called international patent families related to additive manufacturing innovation between 2001 and 2020. So over the 20-year period. 50,000 in 20 years. Okay. Correct. However, if you just look at the period 2013 and 2020, this is where we really observe enormous growth. So we saw an increase of IPS from 1,570 
in 2013 to over 8,000 by 2020. And if you calculate the numbers, it's a growth rate of 26% on average per year and eight times higher than the overall patenting activity growth. Oh, that's a, a real surge in activity that's way ahead of trend. Because I, you know, I keep in, in my mind what the trend line is, like 3.5% thereabout year-on-year increases in, in the patent index. So any area that's surging ahead at 25 26% is, is uh, yeah, that's enormous. So what did you say, eight times? Yes, correct, eight times, Jeremy. And I can confirm from the uh, perspective of the examiners, and we have seen an enormous increase of, uh, of applications uh, coming to us, of course, in our desks. So we have also expanded in examiners dealing with applications in various fields, and we really had to hire and, uh, and expand the teams uh, tremendously over the last, like Ilya said, since 2013. There was a steady increase. Great. Well, there I was worried about people in the tool manufacturing industry being out of a job, where apparently we're hiring at the EPO um, when it comes to needing examiners in this field if it's if it's booming. Right. Enough of the preamble. Come on, let's let's get down to the substance of, of the study. I'm sitting down. I'm bracing for bad news. Tell me which which territories are in the lead for additive manufacturing. Well, the the data shows that we have two epicenters of AM innovation. First, it's the US. U.S. applicants alone are responsible for 40%, so 4 out of 10 international patent families in that area. However, Europe is not far behind with 33% or every third IPF coming from a European patent applicant. Hurrah! Go Europe! Excellent. So if you just combine those numbers, you end up with almost 75% coming from Europe and the U.S. together. Wow. Okay. Good. So that's refreshing not to have to report Europe in the doldrums in a particular technology field. What else do we see? I would say that if we focus on, on Europe, uh, at least Germany is, of course, uh, very well represented, uh, especially with the apparatus um, installations. But applications are widespread on uh, on Europe as well, the automotive, uh, aerospace. So we see quite the coverage on uh, Europe. The ones that uh, that Jeremy didn't mention are um, the Chinese and the Koreans uh, and Japanese, of course. We see also there quite a lot of, of activity, although indeed not at uh, as high numbers as uh, as US and, and Europe. And also at least a lot of universities and, uh, and PROs that are um, stepping in. Ah, that interests me because, uh, you know, universities and PROs. So d- can you tell me a bit more? Who are the typical applicants in this area? Indeed, what the analysis shows is that the landscape is pretty much diverse, right? You have many types of different applicants. So in the lead, currently, there are large international engineering companies such as General Electric, uh, but also Siemens, who is also the largest from Europe, or Safran, the French company. Then you have the traditional printer manufacturers. Think about HP, Epson, or Xerox, but also the ones specialized particularly in additive manufacturing. EOS is an example from Germany, materialized from Belgium. You also have large manufacturers because, you know, we have certain application areas where additive manufacturing is used in the industry. So aerospace with Raytheon, Rolls-Royce, Boeing, Airbus are pretty strong automotive area with Bosch and Ford. But you also have really specialized ones. For example, in Iver and IKEA, the market leaders, Esselon, Luxottica, French-Italian company, they have also very much advanced. And of course, what we should not forget, there's a huge landscape of startups and small mediums enterprises. And as you already mentioned earlier, coming as spin-offs from universities and PROs. 
to jump on what Ilya just said, these uh, SMEs. We see indeed there are on the one hand these uh, ex- find these large f- uh, firms that are well known by everyone, like the GEs and um, and the Siemens. But we ha- see also still a lot of activity of new companies, startups that uh, start with uh, additive, either indeed as spin-off from universities or even people that have uh, stepped out from uh, bigger companies and uh, and now start their own companies. So, but there, there is a very large play field of startups and, and SMEs in additive. Looking at, at some of the stats in the report, it would certainly seem that the university sector and the SMEs and the startups are a large proportion of the overall field of applicants than we would see in a typical patent index, which is looking at all applications in all technology fields. So it's the smaller players, it's the ones at the cutting edge of research who are clearly punching above their weight. So good news story. Um, There's a lot of innovation happening and it's happening in small research labs and small companies um, as much as it would in, in the big ones. I would like to come to Judy and ask for a little bit more insight. I mean, given that you're an examiner, absolutely expert in, in this area, can you tell us a little bit more about the three main areas in additive manufacturing that the study has looked at? Because some of the inventions relate to machines and processes. Some relate to materials. I, I tend to think in terms of the gel coming out of the nozzle at the end. And some relate to the digital aspects. In other words, I imagine the software that's being used to read data files or interpret data so it can make three-dimensional shapes or operate operate the devices. So can you tell us a bit more about those? And this is also something that we added over the previous uh, study because we looked into more details on these three pillars that we identified for additive, like you rightfully mentioned. So we have the apparatuses and the processes. On the one hand, there is the technology and the standards that are developed for this uh, technology. They have identified seven different types of of techniques. So we have tried to cover all of these techniques and, and really split them out and try to find how they relate in numbers of patents uh, to each other. The uh, VAT uh, photopolymerization is the ones that, uh, or the stereolithography uh, that um, people probably know, where you have a liquid resin that is heated uh, locally by a laser. That one is, for historical reasons, still the one that has uh, the highest number of applications, uh, IPFs. In second place, we have found that powder bed fusion is really picking up and is the one that is growing very fast. And in third line is the uh, fused filament. So the one that indeed people uh, know probably the best. So that is for the apparatus and, and we really try to diversify between those. Then there are the materials. So we, the polymers or the plastics is also, again, is for historical reasons, the one that has started the earliest, has expanded also in types of, of materials that are on offer now. And that one represents uh, the biggest uh, still. In second place, and that is quite astonishing, I find, is the biomaterials, because that one has really grown very fast over the years, and especially the, the last a few years with developments, especially in in healthcare, of course. And we see that this one is now the fastest uh, growing with then in... Yeah, can I ask the bit, biomaterials, is it really true? Are are we going to get 3D printed organs? I mean, this this sounds like science fiction to me. Is that really where things are headed? 
Uh, there's a promise, at least that there is the living cell cultures indeed that they are trying. Um, it's still very early, of course. And yes, at least that's the idea. Certainly the, the outside uh, organs like ears are already being produced. But for the time being, it's it's very, uh, very early, of course, uh, in its uh, in its development. Yeah. And there are also materials that come close because of their biocompatibility and degradability even, because you can have also implants that take a function for a while, but then are absorbed by the body. The third one is the, are the metals and, and the alloys. There we, it's really typically the, the use of materials was based on what was known already from um, the subtractive um, uh, technologies and they were selecting small, the, the known materials and applying them in additive. Now we see really much more development on new alloys that are really dedicated then um, for, uh, for additive. So that's the uh, the material side, and digital. There we um, it's mainly on process control um, that the development is is uh, focused, because it is of course a digital manufacturing method. So you you can steer it through computers, and you can also overlook the process and gather data even more so during the the process and learn from it to apply again. And quality assurance, which is uh, definitely important in, in some areas, I think of aerospace. The other part is, of course, you ha always have to start from a design, which is a CAT. So, you know, again, an important, uh, and not only the design, but also then you can simulate whatever will happen during the process or with the part afterwards. So the simulation is also quite an expanding area. The ones that are the image data processing and the design, as well as the, the business aspect of the digital configuration, because we have these platforms and services, um, those are at a much lower uh, uh, growth pace than the, um, the, the process control and, uh, and monitoring. So that is really a fast expanding field. If that's what the situation is for the three main areas in which the patenting is happening in terms of providing us with these new additive manufacturing technologies. If we now flip the coin to the other side, which areas are additive manufacturing now being used in? When I think about 10 years ago, it, you know, people were just saying, oh, well, it's a useful prototyping tool for mechanical engineering. You know, you, you want to uh, do rapid prototyping on a new cylinder head for an internal combustion engine. Oh, well, we'll 3D print it. But now, I mean, listening to what you've been saying, you know, some of these materials are clearly for biological purposes. So um, just how many other areas is 3D printing now getting into? Jeremy, indeed, there's a large number of different areas. You, you can now, I mean, what comes to my mind is the example from Adidas. They have this new shoe with the midsole is, as a, a lattice structure, which is completely 3D printed. And it's based on data that they collected from successful athletes and it turned that into a, into a design which which perfectly supports you when you wear the shoe so it's an interesting area to look at construction i mean you can now even i think there's an example where a whole house was 3d printed but the the largest area still remains what i would call the rather traditional one which is the healthcare sector for example medical equipment like customized surgical tools or anatomical models that you need uh, during surgeries 
Or if you think about individualized implants, I think Judy mentioned already about hearing aids or 3D printed organs, right? I mean, we're not there yet, but it seems there is development in that area as well. So in the health medical sector, just to sum up, we have 10,000 international patent families. And the second largest is the transportation. So aerospace, aeronautics, and uh, uh, the automotive sector, right? Aerospace, where you need to make things lighter, stronger, and automotive, where especially prototyping and so fast product development is where 3D printing technology is used most often. And I, I remember uh, uh, the Danish finalists in the Inventor Award 2012, they were using 3D printing for customized hearing aids. So, you know, get a mold of every individual's ear, the inside of their ear, and then they could make sure that the hearing aid was, was customized for every individual user. I realize we're nearly out of time, uh, so maybe I can squeeze in just one final question. Obviously, I'm going to have to ask you both where you think this technology is heading. Where do you think additive manufacturing is going to bring us? Judy? It's going to penetrate clearly from all of kind of, of technologies and, and, and areas. What I see really developing further is exactly this process control and better understanding the process, but also the development of materials and, and combining materials that I think is going to take us another step further and allowing to even develop further applications that, uh, that have not been tapped upon so far. Jeremy, I mentioned earlier the market size of 20 billion euros, right? What I see in five years is 50 billion, according to existing predictions. But we should also not forget that the overall manufacturing market worldwide is 15 trillion euros. Just imagine just 1% to be substituted through additive manufacturing, that would add up to 150 billion euros. So I think the market potential here is enormous. There speaks an economist. However, adoption is important, as Judy mentioned as well. We have the technical developments. I think we are there. And when we see how many inventions are applied for patent protection, that will improve speed, reduce costs for materials, for apparatuses. But there are also non-technical barriers because it's not only the technology that we need, we also need the right people. So people who know how to apply it in existing processes, but also who know the use cases for new processes. And we also need standardization. So we need international standards that ensure the quality, safety, and the compliance of additive manufacturing processes in the industry. But I think we're getting there. So I've looked at the recent numbers of the international Standard setting situation, there are already dozens of new standards that are being developed. You're right. We're absolutely going to need standards here, particularly in, in, in such a disruptive area. And we need standards uh, for the sake of interoperability and to, to further our whole industry sector in itself. But Ilya, Judy, it's been such a lot of fun talking to you both. And congratulations on the new study. It's a really good read. Um, fascinating. Thank you for writing the study, but thanks to all of you out there for listening. Stay tuned. The EPO publishes fresh podcasts on new technologies and more economic studies and advice for innovators. So keep listening out for more podcasts. But for today, from Ilya, Judy and myself, it's goodbye. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Dotsins. Thank you. Cheers. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favourite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.